0: We welcome you this morning, in the name of the risen Lord, it's good to be together. Flurries in the hilltown. who would have thought it? John chapter 15 this morning, John chapter 15, we return to this great gospel we're on the prow for, we're hunting for, we want to see and savor those glimpses of glory that we see, John gives us this record of Jesus Christ's three year ministry. It's profound, it's life changing. We find ourselves in John 17. There are actually three parts to the prayer here in John 17, and so we'll begin this week with verses 1 to 5. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, Oh now, O oh, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. This is God's word. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for allowing us to be here. I thank you for the brothers and sisters that have assembled here, for, for friends. Father, we pray that you would strengthen our hearts. The Folks today, Lord God, don't need to hear from a mere man. We want to. We need to hear from you. And so we would ask for it. Father, I pray for insight for your people. Feed us. Guide us. Guard our hearts from insolence and rebellion and selfishness. Slow us down. Still us, Lord. Father, I wanna thank you for those that have assembled today. Strengthen us in the inner person. Strengthen us, encourage our hearts on the inside so on the outside we can serve you well. Father, I pray that you'd give us joy in our journey. We thank you for the Boy Scouts that are here today. We thank you for them greeting us. We pray that you'd bless them. Father, we pray that you would strengthen them. Father, we pray that you would help those of our number who are not well. Strengthen them as they've been laid aside. I pray that though they are temporarily isolated, that that would not continue indefinitely. And that you'd bring them back here, heal them, strengthen them, so that we can enjoy their fellowship. Father, I pray that you'd hear our cries. Father, I pray as well that you would cleanse us, as has already been prayed. Search us. Help us to know who we are and what our needs are, and how our hearts are prone to wander and leave you. Father, I pray that you would call us to yourself. I thank you, Lord God, for calling our name. And so this morning we call out your name. And we would say together with the Lord Jesus Christ, glorify the Son. We thank you for all these things. In the name of Jesus we ask, amen. Moses comes down from receiving Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai with a glowing face, a brilliant shining countenance, a visage that is glistening. He had asked in Exodus 33 for God to show him his glory, and it's so profound that people are afraid to come near him. Even though Moses is only reflecting the glory of God, it was unsettling to people. The holiness of God, the utter otherness of God is not to be trifled with. He is God and we are not. And we dare not be casual about this as though God offers us some owes us some explanation. We we come this morning, brothers and sisters, to John 17, we come really to holy ground. It seems as though, it feels to me as though we maybe should have taken off our shoes before we came in. That'd be a stretch for us, I understand. But is there not a sense in which in coming to John 17, we're we're coming, coming to something so intimate, so private, that we feel funny listening in, stop and think about what's being revealed here. God is praying to God. The Son of God is speaking to God, the Father. Now, you probably know that in Matthew 6, typically, when we think of the Lord's Prayer, we we think of Matthew 6. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But if you stop and think about it from a a higher altitude, you realize that's actually not the Lord's prayer. That's the disciples' prayer. He's showing the disciples, his followers, how to pray. What we have here in John 17 is actually the Lord's prayer. This is God praying. This is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus Christ in the gospels. It feels as though we're behind the veil, we're in the holy of holies. We're listening to things that are bigger and grander than us. One of the early reformers, Philip Melanchthon, said, there is no voice which has ever been heard either in heaven or in earth, more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime, than this prayer offered up by the Son of God himself. We see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes on the role of the true high priest. You know that only the true Messiah was worthy of holding both royal and religious titles, king and priest. And so after communing with his men, the 11 in the upper room, after communing with them, Christ is now communing with God the Father. Again, last week we took note of his unfailing faithfulness, his covenantal kindness. It's on full display there for us. After encouraging his men and preparing his men, it tells us in verse 1 that Jesus lifts up his eyes to heaven. There are two elements to this very personal prayer that I, I hope that you'll feel the force of together with me this morning that you'll think about, ponder the wonder of actually what we've read together. I wrote this over verses one to three. The Messiah asks to be glorified through his work. The Messiah asks to be glorified through his work. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you it's a reciprocal kind of it rolls back in on itself glorify me so I can glorify you Christ looks directly ahead to his great work and he asks the father to glorify him the hour has come he says now several times in the Gospel of John we hear this phrase my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. 2 7-6, 7-8, seven, 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 20 The Lord Jesus Christ will not be rushed. He'll not be, if you will, killed or molested before the time. He'll not allow himself that. My hour has not yet come. But the cross here is just ahead for Jesus Christ. And that's why it's significant that now he says... The hour has come. Perfect agenda, perfect planning of God. Can't be touched or killed, but this is different. This is D Day. This is go time. The amazing saga of the incarnation, the enfleshment, is culminating, it's being bound all together in this work of the next few hours. And so he pleads to God the Father to glorify him so we can glorify the Father. Now, I have to admit that the word glorify is unnerving to us. It has this kind of strange sound to us and otherworldliness to us. Glorify, doxazo, to one of those vague words that demands something of an explanation. It means to praise, magnify, to celebrate, to honor, to make glorious, to adorn with luster. (gasps) to clothe with splendor, to res- render excellent, to make renowned. So God says to God, make me illustrious so that I can make you illustrious. And right away we realize a disconnect because we can't talk like this. If I got on the phone this afternoon and called down to Pensacola, Florida and said, dad, glorify your son, he'd say, boy, what is wrong with you? Are you okay? No. Glorify me so I can glorify you. Anna, do you need help? If I talk like that, it comes off sounding like I'm an egomaniac. It comes off, it's, it's language too lofty, too grand. It has overtures that belong to the realm of the divine. This is God language. Fallen finite creatures feel strange rightly so to be talking like this this is language that belongs to the greater realm it's it's God's domain to glorify something or someone means that glory is being shone upon it brightness is being directed towards it did you see the moon last night folks was that glorious well, actually, the moon wasn't lit up. It was the sun doing the work. The moon doesn't have its own light. It's reflecting the sun. And so when you recognize the wonder of this, you, you realize, wow, I don't have any innate glory in me. It must come from God to glorify Someone, something means that light is being shone upon it. So here Jesus is bringing us into the inner Trinitarian council of the Godhead in a plan that has been put into place in eternity past and we feel puny in the shadow of it. And that's not a bad thing. I feel, I read these verses and i read them and reread them and reread them And it felt small and small and tiny. And that's not a bad thing. Because you realize that we are light years removed from this kind of brightness. And then to imagine. And then to wonder. And then to ponder that this glorified one would bring us into the fold. Would share with us some of what is his and his alone, we should feel small, brothers and sisters. It is good for us to feel small against his greatness. Our creatureliness is showing, and that's not a bad thing. In a world that is trying daily to launch demigods into orbit, in a a world that tries all the time to make us the center of the universe, that tries all the time to usurp the rule and reign of God. The essence of this prayer goes to war against the autonomous or the ruling self. That's a very good thing. I'll never forget as a child, these words coming from my mouth as my older sister Trish brought some command from mom or dad, I would say, you're not the boss of me. Mom and dad are the boss of me, but you're not the boss of me. And oh, we know that well, don't we as humans? Brothers and sisters, isn't that part of our struggle with God's rules and regulations, which bring to us life and flourishing and joy? I'm not sure, but you're not the boss of me. We should feel small in the shadow of this great truth. Verse two says, as you have given him authority over all flesh. Again, don't you sense that God alone can talk like this? This is no mere man who's speaking. Man is not at the epicenter of eternal life. God is. Our wills are lost in bondage to sin. We were dead in trespasses. You want to somehow make us in charge of how we're rescued from sin we're not the masters of our destiny no matter how often it's repeated to us saying a falsehood repeatedly cannot make it true and so when we hear Christ speak we're reminded of his marvelous placement at the top of the heap we're reminded in fact that he is king of the hill There's nothing here about our goodness, our giving, our better than our neighborness. It's all about him. And then in verse three, eternal life is knowing, intimately experiencing the only true God and his sent son, our savior. Savor that for a few moments together. It's about his great name, which we've sung of. Christ pleads with the father, on the edge of his great sacrifice, that he would be brilliantly arrayed in majesty. Who who but the suffering servant could transform the hideous and horrifying death on the Roman cross and make it the central work of his exaltation? Who but Jesus can accomplish that? God makes the cross, or to use other terms, the hangman's noose, the electric chair, the guillotine majestic. The gospel is a call to embrace what the world would call humiliating failure, death. The cross becomes a vehicle for the glory of God. We've been over and under and through this so often that sometimes it loses its force to us. The cross is the vehicle of God's glory. We could think of Hannibal's elephants, Ben-Hur's chariot, the Batmobile, Mr. T's van. All of those vehicles that we identify with a particular task, to understand that the cross is Christ's vehicle for glory, that's an amazing thought. The Messiah asks to be glorified through his work. It's the greatest story ever told. The king disguises himself to rescue his bent and twisted rebels. What grace there is here. This brings us to the second part of the prayer. The Messiah asks in verses four to five, the Messiah asks to be glorified through his unity with the Father. The Messiah asks to be glorified through his unity with the Father. In verse four, Christ looks back on his work. And in verse five, to his former glory ahead, he anticipates more glory. Stop and think about what's actually occurring here as Christ communicates with the Father. If the work of Christ was flawed or unacceptable, or if he is not restored to his rightful place, then his mission has failed horribly. And yet we know that Christ perfectly fulfills his mission up to this point. He even uses this phrase, I have finished the work. It's it's so sure Even though he hasn't been to the cross yet, that it's as though he has finished the work. You talk about confidence, you talk about something that's audacious. Hey, I've finished the work. But the the most traumatic part of it is just a few hours away. I finished the work. There is something glorious here about the way that Christ speaks, it's as though it's already accomplished. How does the cross glorify the Father? Kenny answers that well. The Son glorified the Father by revealing in the act the sovereignty of God over evil, the compassion of God for man, and the finality of redemption for believers. The work is not finished, but it's as though it is. Christ is still alive. To be alive means to be actively involved in an environment To be dead means that you're no longer actively involved in an environment. I know what you're thinking. Thanks, Captain Obvious. But think about it with me, this grand truth. To enjoy eternal life means to be active and alive in the eternal God's environment. To be active and alive in the eternal God's environment. The idea that he would give to us eternal life, that his work results in eternal life for us. Verse 5, the glory which I had with you before the world was. Keep in mind this prayer could not come from Jesus if he was not in fact God himself. Isaiah chapter 42, 8, good homework this afternoon. Isaiah 48, 11, God declares in no uncertain terms that he shares his glory with no one. So if the father and son are sharing their glory, they both must be God. John never misses the chance to highlight this. And I admit that this is heady truth. We find ourselves again first baptist of Westlow in the deep end of the pool. If you're not confused enough, let me give you another couple of sentences. The Messiah pleads that the Father reverses the self-emptying that was necessary at the incarnation when he takes on the form of a servant and restore him to the glory that he shared with the Father before the world even began. I know what you're thinking. Did you get all that? When he takes on the role of a servant as he does in the book of Philippians, and he comes forward, if you will, clouded in that, shrouded in that incarnation, He's pleading here that when I come home, I want to enjoy glory. This is as though on the the Mount of Transfiguration when Christ is transfigured and the guys catch just a glimpse of his true glory. And there's this voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's what's happening here. He's pleading, this is is going to happen. This is going to occur. I'm gonna be glorified in this way. No longer the form of a servant, now enjoying the status that I had before time began, before earth began. Deep truths are bound up in wonder. And yet to realize that if we were translating this into what it means and pondering the glory of this, we realize that just as we learned when we were kids, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But in the midst of that kind of depth and wonder, and I don't really get it, and I'm kind of finite, and I'm kind of small, and I feel kind of puny in light of these five verses, to realize that this God loves and cares for us and intended a relationship. Even as Pastor Jeff used the term this morning, initiates that the hound of heaven would pursue us, love us, care for us, do a work in our hearts, right on our hearts. Open our eyes so that we can see his glory. If this was not for our consumption, brothers and sisters, if this was not for our amazement, it would not be here. So how does the glorified son of God affect the way that I live? For those of us who are from Missouri, the show me state, you're looking for something practical. What bearing does this text have on my life? I have three thoughts. This passage demands that I wage war on seeking my own glory. Brothers and sisters, have you thought about this? I am, you are, a glory hound. We naturally, basically love to make much of ourselves. Even if ourselves is our problems and our needs and our fears and our dashed hopes and our crushed aspirations, we love to make much of ourselves. And so to come to a passage like this and realize that all glory, Lord and honor belongs to him is a good and cleansing reset for my heart. This past week wasn't ultimately about you Your hurts, fears, dreams wasn't sort of in place for your therapeutic consumption. This past week should have been about the glory of Almighty God. We're pilgrims on the way, traveling to this eternal life. And so when I find myself making much of myself, because myself is the real issue, I realize that passages like this Go to war against what is basic to me. this passage rightly corrects our natural tendencies. It causes us to look up, look way up. There used to be a show in Canada Kid show. It's about a friendly giant. Did you guys ever see it? Friendly giant? All right Canadian show. I won't take long. but in the in the sort of piping and the beginning, of the show there would be this refrain this phrase that was repeated look up look way up and I've thought about that over the years that's really good instruction for Christians look up look way up not that we don't want to look around at a broken and hurting world but we realize that the answer to the broken and hurting world is to look up look way up look away from ourselves and look to him the author and finisher of our faith secondly This passage demands that I take every opportunity to display his glory. To be a follower of Jesus Christ means that he enables us to delight in being his representative. We are, if you will, a poster child for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are emissaries of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this, brothers and sisters, how'd you do this past week representing him? Your conversation with other people, kind, gracious, merciful, all the time, right? Oh, stop it. You know we struggled. You know we were short-tempered. You, you, you know that we were thick-skinned. You, you know that we refused the time to take time to just ponder the imponderables and search the unsearchables. And so to realize that, that we become responsible as those that he's glorifying in terms of his own light reflecting in us. We ought to feel the good weight of that to do more and to do better as those that are ambassadors of the most high God. Think about the church as a little piece of heaven a long way from home. We love each other that much. We care for one another. We were kind and gracious and merciful all the time. No, we weren't. And so the challenge is, is that this week, by the grace of God, we'll do better at representing him. We have loved ones. We have people in our community. We have neighbors. They see Christ in us. Or just some thin-skinned, cranky person, just like all the others around them. They see big, robust, loving, joyful, caring, kind, because we know that we're just pilgrims on the way we're a little bit of heaven a long way from home thirdly and finally this this text this view of the glorified son of God it makes necessary a constant commitment to connection with the Lord Jesus Christ this passage demands if if God is community we worship and serve the triune the free and one God and he calls us into community then we're We're bound to be in intimate relationship with Him. If He is our hope and our stay, if He's solid ground, if He's home base, if if He's ground zero, then it demands a kind of connection to Him. This view of intimate communion of Father and Son draws our hearts towards communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, have have you heard of Shrek the Sheep? I think there's a picture up there. I hope there's a picture up there. Is there a picture up there? Okay. He became famous several years ago when he was found hiding out in caves for six years. During this time, his fleece grew without anyone there to shave it off. When he was finally found and shaved, his fleece weighed an amazing 60 pounds. Most sheep, if you didn't know this, Except the shepherds in our midst. Most sheep have a fleece weighing just under 10 pounds, with an occasional reaching to 15 maximum. For six years, Shrek carried six times the regular weight of his fleece. And do you know why? Because he was away from his shepherd. This reminds me of John chapter 10, when Jesus compares himself to a shepherd and his followers to his sheep. Shrek to me is a profound illustration of a person who knows Jesus Christ but has wandered away from him. Brothers and sisters, if we avoid Christ's constant refining of our character, we're going to accumulate extra weight in this world, a weight that we don't have to bear. When Shrek was found, a professional sheep shearer, took care of Shrek's fleece in 28 minutes. 60 pounds finally removed. Enough suits incidentally for 20 men. All it took was him coming to the shepherd. Think about all the burdens that we carry because we're hiding in caves away from the shepherd. Think about the burdens that we carry because we hide away and we're not intimately connected with the shepherd. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brothers and sisters, how many of us, even here this morning, are carrying weight we should not be carrying because we have not been intimately in communion with the shepherd? I want you to think about that as we come in the shadow of this great prayer, as we think about the community that Father and Son enjoy, and we think about the kind of community that God is calling us towards as the body of Christ. As the building that he is building. Father, thank you for this time together in your word. I pray that you'd feed our souls, our minds, our hearts. I pray that there's something here, Lord, for us to think about, ponder. We want to love you with heart, soul, mind, and strength. But, oh Lord God, I pray as well, there's something for us to do, there's a life for us to live, there's a character for us to display. Oh, Father, forgive us. Forgive us for this past week. Cleanse us from it. Help us to begin again out of the caves, in the grip of the shepherd, living the way we should live. Father, I ask this in and through the strong name of Jesus Christ, who has been glorified. In his name we ask, amen.